This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. dark, you don't just bounce back from a trauma or adapt well to adversity. You become more as a result of that trauma or adversity. Valeria Tellis interviews Dr. Michelle Pierce, the author of Night Bloomers, 12 Principles Thriving in Adversity. Dr. Michelle Pierce's life mission is to empower and equip people to prosper, mind, body, and spirit. She carries out this mission as a clinical psychologist a professor in the graduate school at the University of Maryland, Baltimore, and an adjunct assistant professor at Duke University Medical Center. She is also a board-certified health and wellness coach, author, researcher, writing for wellness facilitator, and spiritual seeker. After obtaining her PhD from Yale University, she completed two postdoctoral fellowships at Duke University Medical Center. Dr. Pierce has several works, including her latest Night Bloomers book and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Christians with Depression, a tool-based primer. She is also the co-author of Religion and Recovery from PTSD. Of all her professional hats and degrees, Dr. Pierce is most proud of being a Night Bloomer and delights in sharing her wisdom and experience to help people who are suffering to bloom in the dark. She wrote Night Bloomers, 12 Principles for Thriving in Adversity, as a practical, hope-inspiring, and compassionate guide for individuals who want to learn how to heal and transform their lives, not in spite of their difficult times, but because of them. She lives in Maryland, and when she's not writing, you can find her salsa dancing or hiking in the woods. Meet Dr. Michelle at drmichellepierce.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Michelle Pierce. In your own words, who is Dr. Michelle Pierce? So I wear many hats professionally. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm a university professor. I'm a health and wellness coach, a researcher, an author. But I think the essence of me can be summed up in a mission statement I wrote for my life when I was just 19. And that mission statement is that I want to empower people to prosper, body, mind, and spirit. And so all of my professional activities are geared around this life statement, uh, mission statement. And, you know, in the last few years, I've really had a passion to help people to bloom in the dark. And I know you and I will talk a lot about that in this podcast, but I wanted to share something really neat I found out just two weekends ago. I stumbled upon the Hebrew 
root word for to prosper. That was part of my life statement. And I found out it's the same root word as to bloom. Mm. So I literally have been saying to myself that my <laughs> life mission is to empower people to bloom body, mind, and spirit since I was 19. And that just feels like a, a fabulous sort of revelation that um, that's really what my life is about. When you say spirit, what do you mean by that? When I say spirit, I'm really thinking of something that's different than spirituality. Our spirit is that timeless part of us. I see it as our core, that part that we are that transcends our body, you know, was here before our body, will be here after our body. That's how I would see our spirit. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience, if there is one? Yeah, it's a big question, and I am not a theologian, <laughs> but uh, from my, you know, my perspective, you know, a lot of people think it's about to be happy. You know, I just want to be happy in life. And I, as much as I want to be happy, I don't think that's really why we're here. I think we're here to learn. I think we're here to grow. And I think we're here to love and to be loved. And so I'd say those three things are really central to our purpose. And when you say grow, would that mean the same thing as blooming and prospering? Yeah, I see it as becoming. How do we become more than we were when we, we started? How do we become more than we were even yesterday? And then more would also mean something better or just different? I mean, in my life, ideally, it's better. <laughs> Certainly <laughs> yeah. not all of us uh, end up going better to better to better. But right. um, I think that would be ideal that as we're growing, we're becoming better versions of ourselves. Let me ask a question about pain and suffering. Do you connect those two words? Are they somehow different? I do. Um, and I... I think they can be different. I think sometimes when I think about pain, I think about the inevitable things in life. When we lose someone, when we lose a job or go through bankruptcy, there's, there are some things that we just don't have any control over. And I would call that pain. The suffering, I think, is sometimes what we do to ourselves on top of the painful experience. So how do I speak to myself after I lose someone, for instance? What Am I adding to what was already inevitable? And that's the piece that I really think that, um, especially my work as a psychologist, I help people to, let's eliminate the suffering piece of this, even if you're going through pain. What is your own definition of healing? It's mm, a good question. I remember when I was teaching medical students um, back when I was faculty at Duke, and they really drew a distinction for me between curing mm -hmm. and healing. Yeah. So these new doctors were all set for you. Know, they want to cure these patients. And the, the wiser instructors are sort of like, you know, there were times that you won't be able to cure, but you will still be able to heal. And for me, I think healing is really about wholeness and restoring of right relationships. So that could be restoring of right relationships in your body. It could be uh, just within yourself and your psyche. It could be between different people. But I really keep coming back to this idea of wholeness. Yeah. If I understand what that means, would you say uh, that wholeness is connected to the idea of having this balanced life? I think so. Tell me more what you mean by balanced. I think you said something that caught my attention is this relationship, this uh, creating or having this 
harmonious relationship with all parts of ourselves. If we can say that we are parts, wholeness implies one, no division or separation. Yeah, I like that. And that just a sense of peace, right? When I think of that, there's just peace between all of our parts. And also might be, uh, I think another idea we have is that we should always live this balanced life or always be in harmony. I agree with that. And I also think, kind of going back to our earlier comment, that the periods of life in which we go through struggle, that's where I think our real growth comes from. So if things are always balanced and things are always easy and smooth, we don't have the potential for growth. Right. I mean, I'll liken it to, you know, exercise. If you don't lift consistently heavier weights, you won't develop muscles. You can't get stronger without the adversity, without that pressure. And it's the same thing in life. And so I know none of us are welcoming in that pain or suffering or adversity, but really those are the times where we get to grow and there's purpose in that. Do we all need darkness to grow all of us or perhaps some of us don't it's a good question um certainly the framework i have is uh, for night bloomers are people who who do (laughs) we do and just to explain that for the the listeners so the the metaphor is from night blooming flowers that i found out a few years ago that there are actually flowers that require the dart to bloom. (laughs) This was shocking to me that not only do they bloom in the dart, they require it. And that's where the idea came to me. It's like, wow, I think there are some people who also require the dart to bloom. And (laughs) I happen to be one of them. (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of people are. So I, I do think a lot of us need these times of struggle to experience that transformation to come into the fullness of our beings. So it's not saying that we can't develop through you know good times in life, but I think there are things that are revealed in the dark that aren't revealed in the light and things that happen within us that happen in the dark that don't happen in the light. And speaking of darkness and challenges, 2020 has been one of these uh, times. What have you learned from 2020? And do you have a vision for a new, better reality? Mm, I, I sure hope so for all of us. And it's, it's amazing to me, Valeria, that the book came out this year. I actually had the idea for Night Bloomers back in, tw- back in 2013. And seven years went by. The book took many forms and I couldn't figure out why it was taking so long to get to the world And then, of course, when 2020 happened, it was sort of that aha moment that there was like a divine purpose behind this message and getting it out in 2020, because that's when the world really needed it. And so I think 2020 has just been sort of learning that, just putting these principles of the book into practice, that there are going to be dark times in life, and we don't have to be destroyed by them. We can actually grow through them. We can transform through them. So it's not that we're welcoming this in. I'm not glad at all the pandemic happened or anything else. This has been a really hard year for myself and for all of us. And like I said, there are things, there are opportunities for us in this year and in this darkness that we didn't have before. And there's a 
a reverend who said a statement, one of his quotes was not, he said, don't waste your sorrows. Mm, And I just love that idea about not wasting our sorrows. And so I think of 2020 and I think of all the things we endured. And I really want to get that message to to people. Don't waste this year. Yes, we want to say goodbye to this year. We want a fresh start. And let's mind this mess. You know, let's use this opportunity to grow and become in ways that we couldn't have had all these things not happened. What are some of the biggest lessons that you believe we have learned or are learning from 2020? I mean, I think one of them is slowing down. You know, our just lives got so busy and so kind of out of control and people have had to really, you know, been forced to step back and to slow down and to think about what's really important to me. What do I need in my life and what don't I leave in my need in my life? I think another one is the importance of relationships. You know, in this busy, crazy lives we lived, I think a lot of us put our relationships on the back burner or took them for granted. And when everything else is taken away, I think most of us, what we're craving the most are our relationships and just time with people and, and having a greater appreciation for that. And so that those are some of the things I'm hoping that we take forward with us. I think also if we take this beyond the individual level and we take it to the collective level, it's really shown us some of the things that we have to deal with as a society whether that's you know racism, whether it's the political divisiveness, what we think about science, you know, all of those things have really been amplified this year. And so while I talk about this is an opportunity for us as individuals to bloom in the dark, I also think it's an opportunity for us as a nation to bloom in the dark. And, and I think that's, that can be really exciting, what we do with this. What is freedom to you, Dr. Michelle? What is to be free? That's interesting. I don't think I've ever been asked that. What does it mean to be free? I think I come back to that idea of peace. You know, as a psychologist, I'm really working with people to be free, you know, in their minds and in their emotions, their psyche. And I'm always sort of encouraging people on that walk towards peace. And so I think for me, freedom is really having that peace. Would you call that inner peace? I would. I would. Um, and hopefully that also means, you know, peace among those who are important in our lives. Uh, we don't always have control over that. You know, sometimes we can't make peace in those relationships, but we can always come back to finding peace within ourselves. And um, how did you become a writer? And also, what was the inspiration of writing your book, Night Bloomers, 12 Principles Thriving in Adversity? So I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, I knew from the age when I was a really little girl that I wanted to write a book one day. And I told myself when I had something to say, when I had an original idea, I would write a book. Um, Now I have written two and co-authored a third. Um, I finally felt like I had something to say, but it was always a dream of mine. And I've written a lot for, you know, academic journals and I've written book chapters and you know, various other things for the public, but um, if there's really something special about writing a book, I, I liken it to like giving birth, you know, have this idea and then you put it forth into the world. Um, and as for inspiration for the book Night Bloomers, really it was going through my own season of darkness back in 2013. I went through a divorce and uh, that was devastating for me. 
And that's when I actually received the text message of a night blooming flower and had that whole revelation of, oh gosh, you know, there's flowers that bloom in the dark and there's people that bloom in the dark and I'm one of them. And I remember saying, you know, that first week after my ex-husband left, I said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to bloom in the dark and then I'm going to write a book on blooming in the dark to teach other people how to do it. And I did (laughs) both of those things. So really, you know, the book Night Bloomers is the book I wish I had when I was going through the dark. And so I really thought about other people who are going through seasons of loss and pain and adversity and what would be a, you know, compassionate guide to help them through that time. And then I wrote the book to be that. I'm glad you did because... It's amazing how it helps us um, for some of us that already know some of the message, like myself, I talk to so many people. It's still a powerful reminder to hold that space, that peaceful space in moments of challenge. It's having that perspective. Having a new perspective is so critical for changing your trajectory and for having hope. So, you know, if I could do nothing else today but to inspire hope in people who are going through something really difficult and don't see a way out and to give them this perspective that, yes, you didn't want this. You'd never trade this in for the growth that's coming. I get it. I wouldn't either. And because it's here, there is a way to come out even better than you were before. I used to say to myself as kind of a model, like if I have to go through this hell, you better believe I'm coming out a better woman as a result, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like there's going to be something to show for this. And so I spent that year through my separation to the divorce really intentional. Like I am going to be a better woman when this whole thing is over. And there's a sense of accomplishments, a sense of pride and that a real sense of hope as we go through that journey, knowing that on the other side of this, I will have become more than. And when you say hope, you also mean trust? Trust trust in the sense that I can trust that there's something bigger at play here. Yes. Is that what you mean by trust? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that gets really shaken when you're in the dark and everything is so uncertain. Um, Everything that you believed was true kind of gets turned upside down. Um, that might be what you believed about the world. It might be what you believed about another person. You know, in my case, my ex-husband um, might be what you believed about God. You know, a lot of people's faith is really shaken when you go through the dark. And so our trust can be really shaken. And so if you have these sort of guideposts, these truths that you can hold on to, like I know that just like night blooming flowers, that I can be transformed through this. I think it's something that we can hold on to, something that we can trust when everything else feels so out of control. Changing or shifting perspective, they relate to beliefs. Um, they're rooted in beliefs and values. So what happens really, what's the movement there? Is that changing, then replacing those beliefs, uh, trying to remove them or somehow transforming them altogether? You know, some of all of that could happen um, during times of adversity. And, you know, what we know about post-traumatic growth, I see people who bloom in the dark, you know, the scientific term might be post-traumatic growth, is that our belief systems get shaken, they get challenged. And we have a couple of options. One is that we then change our beliefs completely and adopt a new belief system that might be a new even spiritual belief system 
so that um, we're trying to make sense of what just happened to us. Or we can integrate the experience into our current belief system. So we either change our beliefs or we integrate it in. But in both ways, what they found is a real critical part of healing or transforming is creating meaning. So in both of these ways, we're making sense of, we're trying to make meaning out of what just happened to us. And by that, I don't mean like we're ever going to find it meaningful that we lost someone we loved. I mean, that's that's never meaningful. That's never good or, or right. But we're finding meaning in going through this experience of adversity, of going through this struggle of, of wrestling with this thing and creating a meaning out of that. That's what leads to healing. Yeah, so it's more about meaning, um, which it is um, recreating in a way, isn't it? Yes, that's right. It's a creation process, right? Yeah, yeah, that sometimes we have to have things torn down first, sort of like 2020 is torn down so many things. And in that, that tearing down, it's given us the opportunity to be really thoughtful about how are we going to build up again? Are we going to do it the same as we did before? Are we going to build up something new and something better? In one of your chapters, you speak of, uh, you talk about resilience, and then you say, blooming in the dark is more than being resilient. Yes. So how is that so? Yeah, great question. So resilience is defined as adapting well to adversity or to bouncing back after a difficult experience. Blooming in the dark takes it a step further. So it says, we're not just going to get you back to where you were before. You're not just going to adapt well and go back to life as usual. We're taking you further than, more than, not in spite of the thing that happened, but because of that thing that happened. And so I like to use the analogy of a spring. So if you can imagine, you know, in front of you, you've got a, a spring. And if you push down on that spring, the harder you push down, the more you collapse that spring. When you lift up your hand, that spring comes up and it moves forward, it moves forward in front of you. And so resilience would be you push down on that spring, it pops up and it comes right back down where it was. Blooming in the dark is that thing that crushed you, that made you less than, smaller than you were. All that energy that went into collapsing you is actually the same energy that you harness to push yourself further in life. You also say uh, emotional pain needs our attention, just like physical pain. Talk to me for a moment about that. Yeah. So when we're in physical pain, let's say we've cut our finger, we stop everything and we deal with that pain. (laughs) Nothing else matters. We get that thing bandaged up, cleaned (laughs) up, and it's, you know, everything matters when we are in physical pain. And unfortunately, most of us do not do the same thing with emotional pain. But I think we really need to because it's the same signal. It's our body and our brain saying, hey, like, pay attention. Something's going on here. You need to attend to this. And so we need to attend to what's going on with our emotional pain. And so whether that be talk to someone, cry it out, journal about it, you know, all of those things so that we can set ourselves up to heal. Right. And I wonder why we do this, suppress emotional pain. I think there's a lot of stigma still around pain. We certainly know there is around mental illness. And I'm not just talking about mental illness here, but pain in general, we've, we're taught to avoid it. We're taught that it's bad. You get rid of it as fast as possible instead of 
pay attention. Let's be in it for a second. What What is this telling us? What do we need to learn here? And with that information, okay, then what are my next steps? Why did you choose to become a clinical psychologist? Hmm. You know, originally I wanted to be a school teacher. Yeah. I would come home from school when I was like seven years old. My brother was two years younger than me and I would sit him down at a little desk in the basement and I would teach him everything I learned at school that day. And so that was my dream all through, I'd say, university. Um, And then I started working in classrooms uh, as a teacher's assistant. And I just saw how much of the the work a teacher did was discipline and how much the kids were suffering emotionally. And that was getting in the way of them being able to learn. So I said, all right, let me back up and let me figure out how to deal with their emotional pain. And that could then help them learn. So I decided I would be a child psychologist. Then I went off to grad school and I did my first practicum with children. uh, And that went okay. But then my second practicum was with adults. And I loved that. I loved being able to have a conversation, you know, not just on the floor playing. And, And then I was set from that point on. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist with adults. And that's what I do. So another question I have is the connection between writing and blooming in the dark. So I chose writing, specifically journaling, as the tool for people to be able to start to experience blooming in the dark. We have 30 plus years of research on journaling, or it's called expressive reflection, And so in the literature, we know this works. We know it helps with your mental health and your physical health and it helps with resilience. So I wanted to give readers a tool so they could be an active participant in their own healing. So for each of the 12 principles of Blooming in the Dark in the book, I end each of those chapters with about six or eight journaling prompts. And it's so that they can then experience that principle themselves. And it really gets them reflecting. It gets them thinking And of course, then the next step would be then you start to do those things in your life. You translate the reflecting into behavior. Talk to me for a moment about the practice of self-love and gratitude. I mean, I think it's one of the things we really need in the dark. Um, With so much pain and so much suffering, it's easy, as I spoke about before, to add to our own suffering. And so learning to be your own cheerleader you know, being your own advocate, really drawing a line in the sand and saying from here on forth, I am your best advocate. I'm your best friend. I I won't speak poorly of you. And really tapping into that self-love is important. We also know that gratitude is one of powerful ways of changing how we feel. It it changes um, the focus for our behavior. And Lots of great research on gratitude. So that is one of the the tools I use in the book. I I actually called it like a a superpower, Um, using love, whether it's loving others, loving ourselves, or um, expressing gratitude. And so I teach people how to tap into those superpowers or super nutrients, fertilizers, Mm -hmm. uh, to help us grow in the dark. Uh, And also uh, chapter 10, accepting and letting go. That's another one. A big one, a huge practice, a surrender. And such a hard one. I remember in my own process that I got stuck on that one for a while. And it really wasn't until I could sort of look at the mess of the marriage and, and accept, like, that's my reality. Like, I am, the marriage is not going to be repaired. 
I am going to be divorced and I will love again. And to be able to accept that, it really sort of, it's almost like you turn your back on the mess (laughs) and walk in a different direction. And you asked before, like, what is freedom? Wow, there was so much freedom in that choice to accept this is reality and to move forward. Thank you so much, Dr. Michelle, for your beautiful presence, your work, your amazing work, your um, purpose in this reality. I'm using that word, but thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? You know, I'm not sure I would. I think I'd call everybody and tell them I love them again. But it's something I tell people already. They know that I love them. So I really feel like I am I'm in the middle of my mission. You know, I, I really I love the woman I've become and I feel like I'm living with integrity. So I, I don't think I would leave with any regrets. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Well, I know we all experience adversity and <laughs> suffering and loss in life. This, this year was case in point. That's true. Um, I know that these experiences don't have to destroy us, that we can be positively transformed by them. That's us blooming in the dark. And number three, I know we're all loved and I know we're not alone. And I think that really matters to remember that when we're in the dark. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Oh, thank you for asking. Yes, my books are all online, so your favorite uh, online retailer. My website is www.drmichellepierce.com. So Michelle has two L's and Pierce is P-E-A-R-C-E. And on Instagram, you can find me at Bloom with Dr. Michelle. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Dr. Michelle. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Michelle Pierce and her work, please visit drmichellepierce.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.